The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Jason Olborn Show. This is hour two of the Weekend Spectacular here on TNT Radio, and I hope that you've been able to find a way to watch the new presentation here. We're no longer just in your ear. We're in your eyes as well, and you can pick us up on Rumble, YouTube, through the website, or if you can or haven't already, download that app, and it's a big opportunity to be able to get real radio back into the car through the Bluetooth or on your Bluetooth speaker and have it blaring out across the the uh, the block of units where you live, and you might even be able to think back to network in 1976 and say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm listening to TNT Radio at full bore on my balcony. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for all of us to be able to say, I knew that when? Well, in this second hour, and I'm delighted to have a uh, a friend and a colleague, Matt King, who is the party leader of the Democracy New Zealand Party. Matt felt it necessary to stand up and form a political party based on the fundamental democratic and Kiwi principles. He's a farmer of 30 years. He's worked as a police officer and investigator, and he was even an MP for Northland in the period 20. 17 to 2020 and what a time it is to be able to speak to him in light of what we saw in the past week or so with the revelations of the whistleblower matt king welcome to the jason Alborn show g'day jason lovely to be here as always good to talk to you you're a man of knowledge and talent so we'll, we'll there you go with. there you yeah. go it's a mutual admiration society here for everyone who's watching <laughs> it's great to have you on matt um just just quickly, going back to the to the election, and obviously you didn't get the result that you wanted, um, but what we did see was that the Labor government was swept out of power very, very quickly. The results were known quite soon. Um, mm. Do you think that that's the reason why Jacinda Ardern jumped ship? She didn't want to go through the process of being thrown out of office? Look, she went from being pretty much um, adored and mobbed around selfies for Africa, around the country, to probably the most hated leader that we've ever had, where she required um, previous prime ministers have had one or two security men, three. Sometimes she needed 15. And wow. uh, and she everywhere she went, there was mobs, of not mobs, but protests all over the country. If they got wind of her turning up, uh, the, the protesters would turn up. Um, and and so she, she, she could see the writing on the wall. That's as simple as that untenable. She would never have won the election. We know that. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because the idea that you can be so tyrannical, so totalitarian, but when it comes to democracy, you go, you know what, I'm going to use the old family excuse now and say enough's enough. A bit like Daniel Andrews here in Australia, down in Victoria, where he decided that shortly after getting elected, and God knows how he did, that he decided to pull the pin. Uh, And maybe it was ahead of a party spill that was coming or something like that. Maybe it was the unpopularity of pulling out of the Commonwealth Games, which by now seems that he made the right decision. No one in Australia wants to touch them. And it seems that this may well be the death of the Commonwealth Games, but it's a completely different story. Moving back, though, towards New Zealand and the election, it's the first time we've seen a triple coalition. We've now got three parties forming government. Do you think that makes it the idea stronger or weaker in terms of being able to govern now? Look, I think it probably was a good move on the part of the major party, um, the National Party, to to include both of them on an even keel, on an even pegging, because I think uh, it's never been done before. And I think that um, it, it strategically, I think, it's probably a good move. 
Um, however, my gut feeling is that it won't be a stable, strong government. My gut feeling is that there's too many, uh, I think, uh, what's the word, loose ends, too many egos, too many um, people with a track record of not being stable and strong. So I, I think, I mean, I really seriously do hope that they are strong and stable and they stick to their promises and they deliver. I really do. Uh, but I, my gut feeling tells me, no, that won't be the case. They'll, they might go for a few months or a year and then things will start coming apart at the edges. That's my feeling. Now, it, it seems that they came out, you know, throwing a few punches. They said there'd be a COVID inquiry. They said they'd look at the WHO, international health regulations, before agreeing to that. They're big deals because they are moves away from globalism, or at least in, in the case of the WHO, but to in, in going down a COVID inquiry is really important. And it would seem... Um, a way that they could sort of take the moral high ground and say, well, clearly we'll never do what uh, the Labor Party did again, regardless of what we now know. Uh, this was the wrong way to go about it, and at least to to curry some favour with the um, New Zealand voting public. But um, they kind of failed at their first hurdle, and that is of this revelation of the New Zealand whistleblower story, Matt. Mm. Look, um, they they... They agreed reluctantly. I know that they, the ACT Party and the National Party wanted no bar of anything to do with COVID. They're very much down the rabbit hole of supporting the whole vaccination program and the COVID thing. And they believe that, well, I don't know what they believe, but they're going along with it. With it, with it. But um, New Zealand First wanted, um, they got a lot of freedom vote out of promising an, an extensive inquiry. So they've widened the parameters of the inquiry. However, they aren't addressing um, vaccine injury or death, they're only addressing vaccine efficacy. So we've got a, a, a Clayton's um, inquiry, in my view, and it's just going to be rubber stamped by the same people that were for the, the whole pro, you know, the Melbourne Australians that are for the whole thing. So, and I think what's happened now is the freedom movement, who gave a lot of support, Winston Peters and New Zealand First are in parliament now because of the freedom movement. They got the numbers to get over the line. Um, they are now, I would imagine, very disappointed with looking at the fact that there's an opportunity here for some of them to say some supportive or just even mention the fact that a, 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 an amazingly brave man, a whistleblower, um, has, has come, Barry Young, has stepped up with huge credibility and I, I believe will be shown to be an, uh, an incredible set of data that will, I mean, I'm really looking forward to the trial because the, the disclosure that's going to have to happen, the evidence is going to come out. I really hope that our judicial system does not suppress and um, keep confidential this whole trial. I think they will. I think they'll, they'll, there'll be all kinds of non-disclosure um, orders made and suppression orders made so that the public don't get to see the evidence. I, I really hope that's not the case. But, um, you know, that, that, Winston Peters had an opportunity to step up to the plate and say, hey, this guy needs a fair go and we need to support him, and he didn't, so that's where we're at. Yeah, it's very disappointing. You would have thought that you'd jump on and say that, uh, well, what we're going to do is have a look because this is something that people are asking for and mm. uh, something that's been suppressed so long, and yet he came out um, you know, throwing punches and saying that the media was taking, what, $55 million worth of bribes, and he got smacked over the head for that one, and you would have thought that it was that enough to to quieten Peters, that he cares about his reputation at the ripe old age of 78. It doesn't quite make a lot of sense. Now, what we'll do is we'll play a clip now, and this will take us back to understand the story behind the New Zealand whistleblower. Let's hear now from Liz Gunn. Well, we have now come to an undisclosed location with a New Zealand clinician mathematician 
who is very experienced in statistical analysis. That person has with us reviewed the data and confirms our position that it is damning. The figures show that there are tens of thousands of deaths linked to the jabs. And this is just one of the sites recording this type of information in New Zealand. We don't know how many further databases like this are in the country. So it follows that as the deaths are usually less than the numbers of side effects, then the extrapolation of the numbers of injured and dead Kiwis starts to become frankly eye-watering. We saw in the data that there are many clusters of deaths, people who attended the same jab site and were jabbed one after the other at consecutive times on the same day. We saw their jab date. We saw their date of death. Let me give you just one of many examples. On one day, 30 people were jabbed on the same day at the same location. All are now deceased and their deaths are in close temporal time proximity to each other. That's, that's 30. That's all players in a rugby match on the field suddenly dead. You see, statistically, the numbers of deaths we saw cannot be attributed to natural causes given same site and same date of vaccination. It would be what they say statistically highly unlikely. We are calling for an inquiry, not just any inquiry, a full-blown criminal investigation leaving no stone unturned. New Zealand is a crime scene. Computers of anyone associated with this COVID response rollout in any capacity, mobile phones, communications, bank accounts, archives, and a whole host of other targeted information must be seized. We have OIA evidence, Official Information Act evidence, that the government knew every side effect before one single jab was given in New Zealand. So this evidence lays waste to the safe and effective narrative. We saw 13 children on the list that we have examined alone. It's a far cry from when New Zealand says that four people died from the vaccine and you've got evidence like this. Matt, two ways to approach this. One is a, as a cop and another as a politician. Um, I'll let you choose which way you started, but when you first were made aware of such information, do you look at it first as a, as a former policeman or a former politician and go, what would you do if you were in a position of power to deal with that as allegations that we saw there from Liz Gunn? How do you play it? Look, my, my policing background comes out and I go, um, if this is if this is true, if this is verifiable, if this is um, factual, that's it's horrifying. Mm. And um and I and I and it needs to be exposed. So that's where I come from um in terms of that. I think that the one of the reasons why we're not getting any um, satisfaction out of the current government, I mean they've only just got in, so given time, but they went down a narrative, they're committed to that narrative, and if they turn back now, they lose face. So um, our minister, health minister, is Shane Mickey. He's a good man. He's a GP. He's a doctor. He was out vaccinating people. He was out there vaccinating people. So he has to stick to his narrative until you cannot deny the facts and evidence. And I don't know how he's going to deal with it. Um, you know, 
But it's, it's, it's actually quite scary to think that this guy, and he's a lovely man, is um, he? I, I don't know if he believes it, but I. But he's he's talking the narrative, the government narrative, and they're, they're unchanged. Does he does he go home at night privately thinking or saying to his family, his wife, somebody, I'm starting to doubt what I'm seeing now. I've got to do something. What if I'm wrong? At what point does a politician have to doubt the solidarity within the particular political party, the particular narrative? These people are meant to be educated representatives. He's a GP, he's a doctor, he's educated. Where does where does this doubt set in as a politician, therefore? Look, I, I, I haven't had personal conversations with Shane Reti or many or hardly any of the uh, current batch of national MPs in, in the last little while. Since I basically started challenging the narrative, they circle the wagons on me and I'm sort of like, I'm like the, um, the leper now, you mm-hmm. know, and that's, that's a reality. Um, I don't know whether they actually understand. I think some of them do realise something's more to it when the, when the whole vaccine injury protest happened and a big petition was handed into Parliament. It's been buried. Um, the, the MP that went and received that petition um, got, got absolutely um, disciplined for that. Privately, you'll never know that, but he did. Um, and I think that um, it's I, it's going to take a mountain of evidence and a lot of people shouting from the rooftops for for the uh, for the politicians to actually um, step away and say, right, we got it wrong. And 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 the current government has Winston Peters in New Zealand first in their midst, and he is donkey deep in it. He was the deputy prime minister when COVID started. They pushed the legislation through. He had a, a quite a good social media campaign joining in the pylon and people that were uh, opposed to getting vaccinated or just wanted the free choice. He, he, and then he smelt votes. And I'm being very cynical here, but it's true. He smelt votes and he appealed to the freedom movement. And a lot of the freedom movement saw the various different parties um, coming out against the mandates and against the COVID thing, but but thought, thought, well, he's one of the only ones that has a realistic chance of getting in. So they put all their faith in him. And I think they will be sadly disappointed. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. And that's the thing, isn't it, in politics, that your reason you get into politics in the beginning is that you believe that the people who need to serve your interests simply don't exist. So you make a decision and you, you know, you do some checking. Am I qualified? Do I know what I'm talking about? Do I have a thick skin? Do I have resources? Do I have the ability to go and knock on, uh, you know, 100 doors a day? Do I, uh, do I want to be vilified in public? Do I want people to go after me? And after all of those considerations, you go, yeah, I'm up for it. And, uh, and then you go about that process and then you get knocked on the head one, two, three, ten times if it is. That's kind of how politics is played as a blood sport. And so it is a trade-off. It's a lot of horse trading and uh, and dealing with these types of people. So you have to choose a horse to back. But when you get deceived at that, you wonder how long it is before you stop trusting the system and stand up for yourself. They call this period in history the Great Awakening one way or another. That's kind of what we're dealing with at the moment. And, and whether it be that people feel like they've been shortchanged. Here for example, in Australia matters, you, you're obviously aware since 2007, we've had something like seven prime ministers in 16 years. Um, before that, John Howard served for, uh, for for roughly 11 years, Paul Keating five, Bob Hawke, uh, I think it was eight or nine after that. So we had three prime ministers in a quarter of a century, and then we've had seven in 16 years, and we have this procession of one-term prime ministers. And um, just last week or the week before, I asked the question on my Compass show, will Anthony Albanese be the next one, given now that his popularity slumped, the uh, two-party preferred is around 50-50. And the next day in the Australian
Australian newspaper, Peter Dutton, came out and says, we think we can win the next election and get rid of Albanese. And I'm wondering if that's the case here in Australia. How do you go from Scott Morrison with a, a tyrannical government, but basically handed his tyranny over to the state premiers uh, and, and handled it very, very poorly? And even though uh, modelling showed what was going on and we knew it was going to be as bad as it was when everyone was vaccinated and let out, it wasn't letting out the 5% of people that caused all the COVID. It was the fact that the vaccines didn't work and everyone was going to catch it every anyway. And so what I'm wondering in all of this is, do you think this flip-flopping that we see in Australia to go from Liberal government back to Labor, do you think we can go back to Liberal here? Like, Or, or is it going to be a case of there's going to be some form of new coalitions now where you're going to have minority governments as a rule until we move to a whole new political system somewhere maybe in the next year or decade? Look, I, I think that a lot of people were shaken to the core. I certainly was about um, the the establishment, the, the our leaders, our health, our, our doctors, our, our police, our everything, and and the political system, and the, the fact that a whole lot of people realised that that they got lied to, and I think that they a lot of other people are clinging to the lot the narrative and believing it at the moment, mm. and I think that when they realise what actually has happened, um, they there it will be horrifying. And I think there's a lot of people, I'm, I'm constantly amazed that there is a large portion of New Zealand that have gone the last three years and don't think something's gone wrong. So I think political instability is going to be the norm. I think that a lot of people felt that they wanted to get so badly get rid of Labour because Labour is the worst government we've ever had and they've been the, and worse in every way. If you look at every parameter that you measure a government by, not only COVID, but everywhere, economically, socially, um, um, race-based, everything. Um, they just wanted to get rid of them, and anyone else will do. So so I think this government got in because they everyone just wanted rid of Labour. And I think that they will be looking at closely at the way this government um, performs. And I think we are going to see a period of instability. I really do, because there's a lot of people that are waking up now that I that I know were very staunchly for the narrative, like were piling in on me verbally, but in a nice way, verbally for the last two years, and are now saying, hey, Matt, you, you, what you actually said was the truth. Mm. What you were telling me a year ago, I thought you were crazy. I now realise you're speaking the truth. And that's happening more and more and more. Um, of course, there's still people that will never accept anything. They just believe what they believe, and you will never change them. Um, but a lot of people are starting to wake up. So this is a process that's going to take a lot longer, I think, than what we freedom fighters actually believe and hope. I think it'll take a while. Um, so, yeah, I think stability-wise, politically, I mean, I've, I have no faith in the system anymore, mm, Jason, mm, none. Mm. I mean, I, I went into parliament, I walked in there, and I, was, I spent a term in there. I saw how the systems worked. The debates that they have in the, in the parliament, they're just a facade. They're yeah. just theatre. Yeah. I mean, the government has the votes. They put through whatever they want. These guys, MPs, get up yeah. and spout forth. There's no debate. They just do what they want. Um, and democracy, in my view, is as fragile as it's ever been. Um, and it scares me, actually. It scares me. And so yeah. that's why I'm here talking to you, and that's why I'm doing my thing, and I'm continuing on. Um, I didn't win in the election. I actually, there's a whole, there's a, I'll, buy, I'll write a book one day about it, Jason, but I'll tell you what. Three, two weeks out from the election, a massive hit job was done on us in the media. Our Facebook social media sites were all locked down. We couldn't Bruce posts. We couldn't 
and no one could see our posts or they couldn't comment or they couldn't like or they couldn't follow. Mm. Our our videos were glitching all the time. Like, yep. you know, we've got beautiful internet and next minute they're saying, oh, it's it's glitching. There was, there was, a, there was a catalog of things that cannot have been random events. Cannot yes. have been random events. No, so, no, yeah. I understand exactly what you're saying. We went through the same thing here. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with more because I want to present some more arguments uh, from New Zealand on the COVID information. And what I've worked out, or what we've all worked out actually, is that um, that the excess deaths, the argument coming out of New Zealand Health was that there were no excess deaths in New Zealand and certainly weren't caused by the COVID vaccine. We're going to show you some information that may prove otherwise. You are watching and listening to TNT Radio. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. And I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. Well, you're watching a new show here on TNT Radio. You're also listening to it out in the vehicle through the Bluetooth and the app, and I'm glad that you are. Well, on today's show, I've got Matt King with me right now, the leader of the Democracy New Zealand Party, and we've been talking about the revelations of the New Zealand whistleblower. And what I'd like to do is go a little bit further into it because we're talking about excess deaths and not just in New Zealand, but all around the world. And there's a clip that I want to play for you now. It's by John Campbell. He does a show every day on YouTube. He's got millions of followers. And he put this clip up a couple of weeks ago dealing with excess deaths in 2023 alone. Let's play John Campbell for you now. Let's look at some of this excess data first. And really, Japan. Now, notice with Japan here that this baseline is 14%. So the excess deaths 
in Japan in the middle of summer were 14%. They started off at over 28% and now they're back up to over 24%. This is quite horrendous in Japan. Huge amounts of excess deaths. And I don't think I need to remind you now that we would expect excess deaths to be lower now because vulnerable people died for one reason or another during the uh, pandemic years. So we'd expect these figures to be way below the 2019 five, up to 2019 five-year average. Not what we're seeing. Singapore. Now, just look at this graph of Singapore here. Let's pay attention to this. The baseline here is 20%. So the excess deaths in Singapore in about August dipped, dipped to 18% above what we would expect. So here we see the graph started at 28%, went up to over 40%, dipped right down here to about 18%, round about over 30% now. So incredible number of excess deaths in Japan and Singapore. What could these countries possibly have in common? South Korea. Again, look at the baseline here, 15%. So this, this baseline here is about 10%. So again, we see that in what April, the excess deaths in South Korea dipped right down to plus 10% more than we would expect. And now... We're, what, 25-24% more than we would expect. What could these countries possibly have in common that could be accounting for this? Because the local difficulties, okay, you could have local difficulties with ambulances in England, of course, but, but would that be duplicated in all these other countries? It seems a bit far-fetched. What, what is going on here? Why isn't this question being asked? Why isn't it being shouted from the rooftops as people are dying? Taiwan. And again, look at this. It starts here at 10%. So that's the 15% line. So again, we see in Taiwan, the figures have been high all year. Deaths from all causes compared to average over previous years. And again, we're starting at the beginning of 2023. This is just 2023 data. Now, they're fascinating figures because across the board there, you've got excess deaths in excess of 10% and in Asia, as high as 29% in Singapore. Imagine that, 29% extra people dying for reasons unknown, according to officialdom. Now, Matt, one of the things that Campbell um, mentioned there, that he, he was asking questions as to why. So my ears pricked up watching that. And what I did was I got online and looked up statistics, and I wanted to find the average age of people in these countries. Now, I couldn't find the average age, but what I could find was the median age. And as it turns out in Asia, they typically have a, a slightly older um, uh, population. So that made a bit of sense there that the four countries with the worst numbers out of Asia were all slightly older. Their, their median age was between 42 and 49. Now, what was interesting that Australia and New Zealand both performed poorly there with 15.5% in New Zealand and 16% in Australia. But the difference here in, in, in Australia and New Zealand is our median age is much lower. For Australia, it's um, it, I think it's it's New Zealand is 38, the US is 38, and, uh, and, and Australia is, again, around that age of 38 rather than being 42, 42. 44, 45, and yet we have these shocking rates because the US is only around a 7% excess death rate. So what that says to me is it's corresponding to vaccination rate in the population because in Australia, we're at 96% double jabbed. New Zealand would have been around about those numbers and, and, and America, the United States was, was much lower, somewhere in the 60, 65, 70% bracket. And of course, when you then add
add in older age groups and you're starting to see what's going on there. So it's it's a valid discussion because as John Campbell's done, he's given you somewhere between 10 or 15 different countries there in that report, all of whom are reporting excess deaths. And what we're not seeing is in countries, um, uh, perhaps in Africa that were lowly vaccinated, excess death rates anywhere near what we're seeing in the Western world. So what happens, of course, is the uh, the scientists and the, and, and the defenders of all this come out and go, well, correlation doesn't prove causation. But when there's a hot day, they blame it on climate change, Matt. Mm. Oh, totally. And you know, the other thing is that they, they gave us, uh, they told us that 80 to 90% of the population had been vaccinated. And so that made people go out and get vaccinated because they figured that everyone else was doing it. So it must be okay. Mm. And we now know that they were only, cons- they were only including people that who's, who had, who had been, uh, had an interaction with the health service in the last 12 months or two years. And, and the likes of myself and everyone I know hadn't been to a hospital or a doctor for five years. So we weren't counted um, as, as, as a number. So, there are suggestions that, the, that it was low as 40 or 50% of the country actually got vaccinated, and yet we still had such a horrendously high unexplained death rate. And one of the other things I think, Jason, it's really concerning too, is they changed obviously the definition of a vaccine, but they also changed the Coroner's Act. So they put in these uh, second-tier people and not the coroners, and they could, they could pass off an unexplained death, unexplained natural causes without a post-mortem. Yeah. And I look at that and I go, that's that's that's... Uh, law changes to cover up a crime, and that will be what it'll be shown as when when this all comes out the wash. And I think I just don't believe anything that any anyone in officialdom says now. I'm 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 skeptical of everything, and I challenge everything. And guys like John Campbell coming out and and he used to be pro-vaccine, and now he realizes that he that that it's it's a it's a genocide. It's a it's a it's a major crime. And mass murder, basically, and um, and he's and he's coming out and, and being one of our li- our shining lights, I guess, shining lights. Isn't it interesting, Matt, that that the way that this happens is that um, you have some on one side of the fence and some on the other, and then you have those that realise what's going on and switch sides. But you only ever switch sides one direction, and that is the direction of truth, moving away from authority, uh, because they're the competing arguments here. Authority maintains a monopoly on the truth, and that's what misinformation laws are meant to be about, because the government doesn't have to punish themselves. They can say whatever they like and punish anyone who goes against the government narrative of the day. But like you said, it's got to come out somewhere in the future, but they're digging the world's biggest hole for all of them in that mm. they just keep digging and doubling down and saying, well, we'll just put some misinformation laws. So the next allegation that comes out, we'll just throw them down that pathway. We'll send in the police, we'll censor them, we'll arrest them and do whatever. But like you said, it can't keep going on forever. And when you have excess death data like that, and you have some countries uh, in the world already pulling out of the uh, World Health Organization's international health regulations, wanting no part of it, you have to wonder if that's the beginning of what happens at the next stage and who it is that will be the next country to do that. So you, you continue to watch it and, and you wonder. Now, another part of this strange story that's going on is that we're now seeing post-whistleblower. I'm going to play a clip in a moment of um, of Barry Young himself talking about a specific situation. But before we do, I want to talk to, about this exemption thing that keeps coming up. It's getting reported more and more. Every Substack writer out there is doing some sort of story on it. The claim was that 11,000 people were able to get a vaccine exemption in New Zealand. That seems like an awful lot, but uh, it may not be 11,000 took the exemption, but were eligible for the exemption. Is there any understanding who may have got a vaccine exemption, perhaps in power, Matt? Look, I don't know about the politicians. I do know that they they were, they, they took, 
they were made to get it, not forced to get it, but the peer pressure and, and uh, huge pressure on anyone that wanted to have a political career to get jabbed. But the exemptions, I understand, were granted to people in the health field and, and basically to stop the whole organisation falling over because there's a lot of people, smart people, that realised early on that something wasn't right and they, if they had stopped surgeons and like and the like and, and high, you know, very specialist people, and they realised that if they didn't do that, um, that the whole system could collapse. So that's my understanding. There was eleven thousand people offered an exemption, but I know that eleven thousand people didn't take that offer up. But what for me is like part of the exemption offered was uh, at NDA no no disclosure. So we've got people that are very highly trained medical people and, and very intelligent people, recognised something bad was happening, got the exemption for themselves so they could carry on working and carry on doing their thing, and then kept silent about it and didn't warn others about it. And 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 I, I don't know, I mean, you always got to go after the top tier people first that put, put it like it, it's no point chasing the vaccinators and the, the lower level people that were pushing this and the nurses and everyone else. We need to start at the top and get the people that started the ball rolling and enforce this on everyone and work our way down and find who was who was uh, implicated, who was actively doing it, and who was just turning a blind eye and start putting people before the courts. And, and to that end, Jason, we, myself and a few others that have been freedom fighters and uh, are, are trying at this point in time to put together a citizen's inquiry um, we've obviously got to go for. We've got to be funded, and we're tr we're going to have wide, wide open parameters. It's going to be very public and open. We've got investigators. We've got ex police. We've got current police. We've got lawyers. We've got scientists. We've got, and we're trying to. I guess the biggest thing for us is money. We we can't do it. We can't travel the country. It include coming to Aussie and interviewing Kiwis and Aussie and, and Aussies as well. Um, that's our plan at the moment, um, and I would like to think that we can get it off the ground. There's a lot of work to do, so. Um, that you know, there's already a lot of people have put their hand up and said, "Yeah, I want to be part of it. I want to help." But, but um, this is bigger than Texas, as I said, J uh, Jason. So we're that's what that's what I'm doing, working on at the moment. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely massive, and uh, it's something that you would wonder if it could be something that could cross the Tasman into Australia and could be done at the same time and uh, and compare notes across countries. Uh, and you would think that that would just be part of what would bring freedom people together, and it would obviously need to be sponsored, as you said, because these things are expensive. But there there, there has to be a planning process. Uh, it's very very powerful. Now, Matt, during the period um, in COVID here in in Australia, there was obviously the lockdowns, and then there was the process of um, that people were allowed out, and then they were allowed to fly on aeroplanes again. The process, uh, if you were to be uh, to to get on an aeroplane in New Zealand, did you have to turn up and and go through a rat test if you weren't vaccinated, equally as if you were vaccinated? Was that how it worked over there? Yeah, yeah. They the um, the main airline, all the all the airlines a vaccine pass or a, a rat test and it had to be a recent one it had to be you know done in the, the last eight hours or 12 hours or something like that so massive inconvenience for everyone and mass and, and expense as well so um yeah that that was a requirement and you know like i said to you one time jason i spoke to the district commander in north and he told me that they were going to roadblock the north and block north and off which is you know there's a couple of roads you can block and you can block the whole region off and this was a few months before the actual checkpoints were put in place and i, and I thought the guy was crazy I, he mentioned I was the MP at the time. He was the local district commander. We had, you know, working relationship, and he told me, "Yeah, we're gonna we're looking at doing that. We're drawing up plans now to to block off, and you, you have you you can't get through unless you're 
got a you've got a um, not even a vaccine pass. You had to have um, a, a specific pass giving you approval to go across the, go across the border. And I thought to myself, this is like North Korea. This is like East Germany. This is wrong. I can't believe this is doing this. And and but it happened. It happened. And I was like, I thought I was living in some dystopian, you know, nineteen eighty four weird Matrix world. I really did. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I still think about it now, and I think, man, this is this is out there. This is, and people just accepted it and went along with it and mm. fought with mm. each other over it, you know, and and ridiculed other people and brother against brother and. And the worst case scenarios I heard about was people that had separated had kids together and one wanted to get vaccinated, the kids vaccinated, and the other one was wide awake and was desperate to try and save their kids. And and they were being this was happening all over the country and I was thinking I would be I would be wanting to grab my kids and go bush, keep mm. them away from you know, that's how I feel about it. But yeah, it was an no, amazing time. No, yeah, absolutely. Now I just want to ask about this 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 idea again. Going back on on the exemption thing, because I'm assuming that if if you had a choice to show a vaccine passport or take a rat test, that the exempt people would have to have gone down the pathway of taking a rat test would have been the only way through that because you wouldn't necessarily carry a piece of paper that said you're exempt. Here in Australia, as an example, you could have a stat deck um, or, or a letter from a doctor to not wear a mask, but it was virtually impossible to get an exemption. Some people did. And there's that story of the lady who was desperate to get a heart transplant, had an exemption, but the hospital mm. would not uh, give her a heart transplant unless she was vaccinated, even being aware of the uh, side effects, which were obviously heart troubles. It just seems an extraordinarily bad position for medicine today that they would sit on their hands and hide behind bureaucracy. So um, what do you think? Is is that the way that the exemptions may have worked? Look, I think probably what happened was to doctor or attention to the fact that these exemptions were being granted. I would say they just were granted the vaccine pass. Yeah. So, wow. so they could do, they could just operate like as if they'd been vaccinated. And uh, that would have been the simplest way to do it. And uh, I don't absolutely know for sure what they did, but mm. but that's that's what I would imagine. Um, you know, I, I spoke to guys that were uh, that airline pilots that were part of a, uh, that were um, that knew of pilots that had, had had taken the jab to keep their job and now lost their flying certificate because of the health issues around the heart, around around um, you know health, definite health issues that came on as a result of the vaccine. So um, there there is such a mountain of evidence out there, Jason, of people that that have um, that have been vaccine injured. There's a mountain of evidence out there of people that have been the mo shown the most hypocrisy. Um, there's been, you know, there was a situation, you know, and I don't want to liken it to Nazi Germany, but um, people that were average, normal people that were plumbers and builders and, and tradies, and they became Nazi guards, and they were the most ruthless ones um, that, that that got in there because they got a bit of power and the way they went. And I've seen people. That over COVID that have turned nasty that I thought were decent people and they they got on their high horse and they attacked and I, I've never felt so much pressure on me when I stood up to fight this I lost my political career uh, walked away from the biggest party walked away from 15, 20 year career probably three or four of the people I went in on the intake in 2017 are now ministers on the front bench in the government right now mm. who I happen to know yep. and that, I'm not saying that was would have been me because you know probably I'm not not a good enough boy, you know don't play by the rules. But 
But I look at it and I go, well, I knew something was wrong and I had to speak out about it. And um, like you, I you're taking a massive hit. But I look at guys like Barry, Barry Young, and uh, Billy Tikahika, and um, and and um, the Brian Tamaki, who actually went to jail for the cause. Mm. And and if you've, I've been inside a jail cell a number of times, but I was throwing people in them, mm. with and taking the handcuffs off and walking back out. And I could not imagine the horror of being locked in there, take, have, your, have your liberty taken away, your freedom taken away, and you knew in your heart of hearts you'd done nothing wrong, you were fighting good for. And this is the hardest thing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To be a freedom fighter and to end up behind bars because of the cause clearly shows that you are obviously on the right track and you're in a much bigger fight than you ever imagined when you first started. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and I'm going to play you some of the evidence of Barry Young. You are watching and listening to TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. This is so obviously a PR-driven false narrative psyop, it's hard to believe anyone could buy it, much less get excited by it. But I guess they're right, you can fool some of the people all of the time. I'm talking, of course, about the latest love of the decade, Taylor Tay-Tay Swift, who is elevated to stardom by singing whiny songs about all her failed relationships, and Kansas City Chiefs tight end and Pfizer vaccine shill, Travis Kelsey. This isn't a romance. This is the Hollywood music industry and the NFL combining to push Joe Biden across the finish line next November. And along the way, Tay-Tay's gonna get the job done by pushing abortion. Her traditional audience was preteen girls, and she's trying to get that a little older demographic, the voting age demographic. Will it work? Time will tell. I just hope that people wake up before it's too late. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And is the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give Mama a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. It sounds pretty good. It's it like, sounds real, dude. It's not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we're back, and you're watching the Jason Olborn Show this Saturday afternoon, or you could be listening somewhere else. Now, I'm with Matt King, and before the break, we were talking about the horrors of what we've seen in New Zealand so far in terms of the political 
lack of will in terms of working out what these excess deaths are all about. We've played the Liz Gunn clip that showed us what was coming out, the mother of all revelations. And now what I'd like to do is play a clip of the whistleblower himself. He was known as Winston Smith, which was the name of the character in 1984 by George Orwell, but his real name is Barry Young. Let's play the Barry Young clip now. A cluster of 51. So that means 51 people died and they're all within two hours of each other. And it's it's unbelievable. And it's like this this should be an inquiry. It's like what what exactly happened on that day to cause this? Because fifty-one people dying who were all injected at the same time. They didn't all die at the same time, but they were all injected at the same time. Now no longer with us, as you've got to ask some questions about that. It's like <clears throat> you're sitting on a bus with a group of people. And you're one of 51 on the bus. And then a year later, you are the only one that survived out of the whole bus. It's like the chances, the chances of that are so remote. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost impossible. That's what a statistician would say, almost impossible. But the, the real odds are like, you know, trillions to one against. So that, that basically points to, it, if it's nothing else, Occam's razor. When all when you eliminate all of the factors, what are you left with? What is what is the fundamental underlying cause of this? And the only thing that is left logically and scientifically is the vaccine itself. Matt, it's not climate change, clearly. <laughs> no. Look, I, uh, I I see that guy and I think, what a brave man! Mm. Now, he's a brave man, very young, brave man. And I look at it and I go, you know, my policing days, I was an investigator for 14 years in the police and 10 years in private sector. And the evidence that um, that is being presented by guys like Barry and anecdotally and just firsthand and various people all around the country and around the world, it's the evidence is overwhelming. Mate. It's not even scratching. It's, we're, we're, it's overwhelming. It's it's. So- so two yes. things there. You've got New Zealand Health coming out and completely in denial, completely mm. saying that this man has done what he's done. And he's been charged with an odd charge of using information dishonestly. I mean, how do you even prove that if uh, if it gets into a courtroom with a jury? You'd have to think he's got a good chance of getting off. Look, um, this is what why I think this might be the turning point for us. And I'm, 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 I'm a cup half full guy, Jason, so I'm trying to mm. be positive about it. But I think that um, they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to disclose evidence. He's going to have evidence that he's got because he, they tried to get it all off him. But he's a clever guy; he'll have it stored in various locations around the place. He can say that this was downloaded. He's got the chain of evidence that he can prove that it that it's legitimate health mm. authority information. They're going to have to either go one or two ways. They're going to have to it's going to have to be open. They're going to have to prove that he did something. My pick is they'll either they'll probably withdraw the charge at a later date or they'll have an inquiry they'll have a a, a a trial but it'll be all suppressed and no one will be able to do it the media won't be allowed in and they'll use national security um, as a reason and i mean it happens there's trials that have gone on around new zealand where no one knows about them and no one knows the outcome and it's all been suppressed and no one can talk about it and i know that so uh th- in this situation here i think this this it's a little bit like trump being charged it gives him the opportunity to subpoena witnesses and blow this wide open. Yeah, look, uh, 
it's a process, as we know, but it's the idea of weaponizing the process for political gain against your adversaries is something that we never expected that we would see in the Western world, given that um, the Holocaust was only, what, 70 years ago, we were told it would never happen again, went to every possible measure so that it wouldn't, only to see the exact opposite that's going on. It seems that the biggest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing you that he didn't exist. And what we're seeing now in world politics is something even worse. Not only is the devil pretending he didn't exist, but he's pretending that he's saving your life and anything but. It's that ultimate deception, that sleight of hand, that the, the idea of what we're seeing just means that when the day comes, the fall will be much bigger. Now, Matt, I had a an occasion this week for something that was uh, that shocked me to the core in my past life uh, more than a decade ago i worked in a particular industry and i worked really hard and did really well and earned a lot of money but when it came time to be paid my employer decided not to pay me i was left with no choice i was actually a member of a union at the time and i i left the uh the, the job i went to the union they told me that that's what to do and that they would support me and uh once the uh, constructive dismissal case date went past the union didn't want a bar of it they basically i was a one person paying a few dollars a week or whatever it was to be a member and they didn't care anyway i had to go to court and fight it years later now the thing was that i just found out yesterday that one of the two people that um that were involved with not paying me one of the people actually came to my home and threatened my wife the night before the court case that's how bad it got and threatened to uh to, to harm me if i went to court well that person i found out yesterday had died last year in a farming accident and my point there was that um that this was a person that did harm and threatened my wife threatened me took away my livelihood, made me go to court to fight for it. I didn't feel any satisfaction at all in hearing of, of the loss of that man's life. Um, I didn't feel anything. Um, but I just wondered that, um, that what we're seeing now, the evil that is so bad, there's no joy in being right in any of this, Matt. This is the point I'm trying to make. And anyone on this side of the fence that's been calling out this for a long time doesn't want any accolades for it. We just want it to stop and we want innocent people not to be harmed. And I don't know why we're the bad guys in all of this. Yeah, I, I agree, Jason, and, and I and I I would love to be proven wrong. I would love for I know that I'm not, but I'd love to me to say I got it all wrong. This is this this is all just there's a whole series of events happened, and you've just got the wrong end of the stick, and this is the reality. But I think most people out there, the narrative that believe the narrative, they just can't accept that that what's happened's happened. They mm. just it's beyond their comprehension to think that there could be people that could be that evil and enough people that collude together for this to happen. So they can't accept it. So it's easier just to bag like yourself and myself and others and just call us conspiracy theorists and lunatics and misinformation. And, and like Plunkett, Sean Plunkett from the, from the platform in New Zealand, alternative, a little bit alternative radio, he's totally um, believes that he's, he's, that he's right, we're wrong, and that we're lunatics and we're crazy and we're fringe and everything else to the point that he's been admitted to hospital with heart issues, he's fully vaccinated, and he just absolutely ridicules. And it might be just by chance. It might be family. It might be genetic. Who knows? I don't know his history. But he just will not let us say, put our point across, and he just attacks us. And, and he's got a lot of influence. So there's a lot of people out there that just find it easier just to have a go at us. I really look forward to the day, Jason, when we are vindicated. I really do. And it won't be, I told you so. It'll be, let's go after the people that did this to us and let's ensure that it can never happen again. 
And if we've done those two things, then we've succeeded. But um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go to my grave knowing that the position I've taken on this whole thing is the right one. I know that from 24 years of investigation that I know that this is real, it's happening, and, and I'm not dreaming it or nightmare. Um, and I don't know where we're going to end up. I don't know what's going to happen. But like the saying I said to um, one of your colleagues the other day, yesterday, was that for evil to prosper, good men do nothing. And I don't want to be that. I want to stand back and look back when I'm an old guy. And uh, you and I are still young, aren't we? Um, and I want to, yeah. And I want to look back and say, um, you know, I I did everything I possibly could to fight that fight, and I yeah. and I'm confident in my own heart that that I am doing that. So I'm I, I sleep well at night. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, the late great spiritual teacher Wayne Dyer, who wrote probably 150 books or something incredible. He, I remember listening to one of his tapes, and he said uh, he talked about the death of Ivan Illich, and the, and the slogan was. What if I was wrong my whole life? And this was something that he asked himself on his deathbed. And it was something profound because at the time I just was totally separated from it. But now we're right in that particular juncture of uh, human consciousness that it may well be that the vast majority of people will have to ask themselves the same question when there's these repeated patterns that just don't make any sense. What if I was wrong my whole life? And it's a very, very sad way to think about it, to think that the betrayal could be that much. And of course, the bigger the crime, the more people will believe it is yet another one of these slogans that is where we are. Now, Matt, I can't let you go without asking you about how you coped with New Zealand's loss in the one-day Cricket World Cup. Was it as bad as India? Look, I'm not a cricket man. Jason, you're rubbing it in, aren't you, lovely guy? <laughs> um, as long as we can beat you at rugby, then, then yeah. I, I can sleep at night. You know, cricket, hey, I'm not a cricket man, so, yep, we'll, we'll go with it. Um, but when we lose when we lose the rugby, especially to Australia, it's it's a it's pretty tough, you know. So, uh, but <laughs> you're a oh, funny guy, Jason. I love it's it. fantastic. I love well, it. it's not often that uh, New Zealand can do so well, and of course Australia did so poorly that we thought we were. We started going for New Zealand early on in the World Cup. Oh, we'll just follow New Zealand. They're just doing so well, and then Australia forgot to lose after that, and and that was the end of it. Now coming up, you've got obviously we've forgot all got to lose. Forgot we, to lose, eh? We, 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 we've <laughs> all got Christmas coming up. How do you yeah. celebrate Christmas? Uh, in, in the King household now? How do you do it? Has it changed in the last few years? No, no. We're, we're very, very, family is huge to me. So we all gather around together. I've got my mum and dad living nearby um, and my brother and sister. My sister lives in Aussie at the moment, which is really sad. I just She came back for a few days. Um, but we all get together as a family and celebrate. And for me, what's most important is family. Absolutely. Family, friends, and then community and then country. So we get together. We talk, we drink, we eat, and we celebrate the fact that we're all together and 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 we're 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 tight knit and we haven't had any seriously bad things happen to our family in our lifetimes so far. So we're we're good to go. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it wonderful that uh, that Christmas can be a season for celebration and also for reunion. And that all of us hope that uh, this Christmas is the best Christmas that we've had in a long time. It's been a pretty tough few years, but we're still here. We're still going and we're fighting as we always do. But you have to take time out to smell the roses. And that's what I hope everyone can do as we move towards Christmas. Matt, if I don't speak to you before then, I wish you a, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. And of course, we'll be in touch again. It's been a delight to be able to catch up and obviously to get an insider's view of what's going on there. And there is confidence that there's a way out of all of this. And 
at long last we will get to the real truth and be able to get on with the rebuilding of planet Earth in favour of the people. And it takes people like you, Matt King. Thanks again for being on the show today. Thanks, Jason. Every day above ground is a good day. You have a great one. Good on you. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll get some news and we'll be back with a new guest, Jerry Gray, after the break here on The Saturday Show with Jason Olborn. Thanks for watching and listening here on TNT. Music.